This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 1 and 2, we read the first eight verses of Hebrews chapter 1, and then we turn to Hebrews 2, and we read verses 6 through 18, 6 through the end of the chapter. Hebrews 1, 1 through 8 to start. Hebrews 1, 1 through 8, hear the word of God. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who make his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now we go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest 
in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. To read that far in God's holy and inspired word, on the basis of the teaching of Scripture, we have the explanation of our creeds and confessions, one being the Heidelberg Catechism. And today we consider Lord's Day 13 and the first question and answer that we have there. Lord's Day 13. Question and answer 33. Why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God? Since we are also the children of God. The answer, because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God. But we are children adopted of God by grace for His sake. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important question that there is and that you must answer and continue to answer throughout your life, the most important question is this, who is God? Included within that question, who is Christ? The Catechism has been answering that question for us. For the Catechism, in explaining true faith, beginning at Lord's Day 7, in explaining true faith, the Catechism has been describing whom we believe by faith. Who do we as true believers trust in? And the Catechism has explained then who this God is. This God, the Catechism we have seen, is triune. He is not only one, but He is three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This God is our able and our willing Father who has created all things for us. And in His providence does continue to uphold and govern all things for the good of His people and our salvation. Who is this God? This God, the Catechism has continued to explain, is God the Son. And that's the section we are in as it explains the Apostles' Creed. The Catechism explains the names of God the Son. First of all, Jesus, which means Jehovah. Salvation revealing unto us that Jesus is Jehovah Himself, the I Am that I Am, come to save us, His elect people alone, from our sins. We have considered how the Catechism has answered that question, who is God, by considering that name, Christ. He is, he is the Anointed One. Chosen, qualified by the Holy Spirit to be our prophet, priest, and king. And today, in answering that question, who is this God that we believe? The Catechism brings us to the third of the names listed in the Apostles' Creed we confess every Sunday. He is the only begotten Son of God. The most important question that you must answer and continue to answer by faith is that question, who is God? But the second most important question to answer is this, who am I? Or better put, who am I? in relation to this God, am I His enemy? Or am I His friend? Am I alone on my own in this earth? A nobody? Or do I belong? Am I His son? His daughter? The thrilling truth we consider this morning, though familiar to us, can be summed up this way. God says to you, He says to me, Thou art my beloved son, O daughter, in whom I am well pleased. 
He says that to Jesus. And He says that to you. His people. Behold, behold. Consider, John says in 1 John 3 verse 1, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, and then describing that love, that we should be called the sons of God. The second most important question is, who am I? Do you know who you are? Then praise the Lord that you can say by faith this morning, I am His Son, His daughter. Is there really anything more thrilling, truly exciting than that? Is there any other identity that you want to have and that you cherish more than that? There shouldn't be. Young people, Do you want to be something different, someone special, someone popular, someone distinguished and different from everyone else? And yes, there is a uniqueness to each one of us as persons, that's true. But this is most important that you know and you remind yourself again and again of, it doesn't matter what other people think of me, in the end, I am a child of the Almighty God. And that is what I cherish most. Even if I don't become what I want to be, or what other people think of me as. Men and women, who are you aspiring to be? Especially in the eyes of other people. Are you trying to make a name for yourself? In the difficult times of life, sometimes when a spouse departs, or when a fellow church member forsakes when parents die. In the darkness of life, we feel all alone sometimes. This is what holds true. Even if I don't know anything else, I am the son, the daughter of the Most High God. That's most special. Not everyone can say that. That is unique. That is distinguished. That is most precious about your identity. The catechism leads us to consider Christ's identity and and our identity, and it does so in a unique manner, in a unique manner. It asks the question why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God? It doesn't stop there as it did with the other names of Christ. And it says, why, 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 why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God? And we are also the children of God. What's the difference, that is, between Christ being the Son and you being the Son or daughter of God? Now, we may not say that we are the same, we are the Son of God in the same exact sense as Christ is. We may not say, I am Christ. That is blasphemy. But we are joined to Christ. We are sons of God, but there is a difference. And we make that difference, that distinction this morning, and the catechism leads us to make that distinction especially so that we may exalt Jesus Christ. We may see Him as above us, as the only begotten Son, as our elder brother, as the one who is far greater than we are, and yet, as Hebrews puts it, is not ashamed to call us His brothers or sisters. Consider with me, That name, the only begotten Son of God, is explained in the Catechism. First, His unique identity and distinction from us. Second, our identity in Him. And then finally, the calling to us as His children, God's children. We are the sons and daughters of the Most High God, and yet we are not identical to the Son of God. The Catechism 
asks that question and answers with this difference. Christ distinctly, Christ alone, we read, is the eternal and natural Son of God. And that, that first phrase of the catechism is simple and yet has this deep, profound, and even incomprehensible meaning that we have to understand patiently and yet leave in a certain sense at times to the mystery of who He is as God the Son. The first difference between you and the Son of God that the Catechism shows us is that He is the natural Son of God. Notice that word natural. Christ is the natural Son of God and that word natural means that He is of the same essence or being as God. Brings back brings us back to the truth of the Trinity. God the Son is the second person and yet one being or essence with the Father. But this Lord's Day delves into that more, especially as it relates to the Son. Father is God, and He has begotten the Son. So that because Father has the essence of deity, He is a divine being, it must be also that His Son has the same kind of essence, the same being. He too is a divine being. The Nicene Creed is important here. Written way back in A.D. 325, the Nicene Creed was defending the truth of Christ's deity against the heresy of Arianism. And the modern day heresy of Arianism is the Jehovah's Witness teaching, which denies the deity of Jesus Christ. That He is the natural Son of God. And the Nicene Creed says this, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. And then to describe how the Son is the natural Son, we read or confess, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds. And then continuing to describe His his natural Sonship of Jesus, God, He is God of God the Father. Light of God of light, true God, of true God, begotten, not made. And there is how it especially combats the Arians. Not made, being of one essence with the Father. And hear that word repeated, begotten, begotten, not made, begotten of the Father. That's a description of His natural sonship. You see that in the creeds everywhere, and you see that in Hebrews 1 verse 5, that we read in our Scripture reading This morning, Hebrews 1 verse 5, you understand, is not simply inspired Scripture. It is, but it's quoting another part of inspired Scripture, Psalm 2 that we sang from this morning in Psalter number 3. And Hebrews 1 verse 5 says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten. See that word again, begotten thee. It's a rhetorical question. To which of the angels did he say, Thou art begotten, begotten? And the answer, obvious answer is none. To none of the angels has he said this. Only to the Son I have begotten thee. Children, that word begotten is important. We cannot fully understand it. Even adults cannot fully understand it. But we need to understand this to a a certain degree for the exaltation of who Jesus is. To help us understand what it means to be begotten, God has given us the earthly reality of being natural sons and daughters of our earthly parents. And so as you know, for you to be conceived and for you to be born... Your father and your mother had to be married, had to come together in marriage. And when husband and wife bring forth a son or daughter, that is 
the description of being begotten. You are begotten of your parents, of your father and your mother together. Therefore, you as children are not adopted. And now you say about your parents, I'm not natural sons and daughters. But rather you say to your parents, I think all of you children, they're my natural parents. I was begotten of them. And when father and mother begat you as children, because your father and mother are of a human being, of human essence, so you as a son or daughter didn't come out as, as an animal, as a monkey, or a different essence or being, but now are human beings. Like your, like your parents, because you were begotten of them. That is what God has given us as a reality in this earth. The idea of being begotten. And that is supposed to help us understand, though not fully, what is true of God, the Son. God the Father did not create the Son as He created everything. That's the heresy of the Arians, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But the church and God's Word shows us, insists, that He was begotten. God the Father now, of course, without the help of a wife, without the help of a female, has begotten the Son. Not adopted Him, but has brought forth natural Son. And since Father is divine being, and begetting a Son, this Son too is of the same essence divine as His Father. And that, you see, is very different from who we are. We are natural sons of our earthly parents, but we're not natural sons of God. Christ alone is, the Catechism says. Second, to distinguish Christ from us, the Catechism says He is the eternal and natural Son of God the Father. Not only natural, begotten, but eternal. And here, here's another layer to the mystery of Christ being the natural Son of God. He is not only begotten, but eternally begotten. Listen to the Belgic Confession now. Another one of our creeds in Article 10. Belgic Confession, Article 10, we believe that Jesus Christ, according to His divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, and then this, begotten from eternity. That, that's mind-blowing. I cannot fully understand it, but I, I, I confess that with the creeds, and you must too. When we think of someone on this earth being begotten, a child being begotten, we think of something happening in time when that child is conceived and born. But for Christ, there was no time. When we speak of Him, and the creeds speak of Him as being begotten, we're not talking about Christ being begotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Yes, His human nature was begotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But that's not what the Catechism is talking about here, His human nature. But eternally, from all eternity, He has been begotten according to His divine nature of God the Father. Micah 5 verse 2 says, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Which means, He has been brought forth, going forth from the Father. Begotten of the Father from eternity. That's beyond our comprehension, but it is what we confess along the Scripture and the confessions, the creeds. That means then that this Son, begotten of the Father from all eternity, is, is not under the Father. He's not lesser than the Father. He's not, he's not of less, less honor than the Father. He's not subordinate to the Father, but He's equal and co-eternal. I'll bring you back to Hebrews 1 verse 5, which quotes Psalm 2. I read that already. 
But notice in quoting Psalm 2, we have these words. He said or declared, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. We have to understand that correctly. Within that phrase, this day have I begotten thee, there is a difficulty. It should be obvious to you, having heard what we said, that Christ is from eternity begotten. Why does it say this day? This day. If Christ was begotten on a certain day, then He wasn't begotten from eternity. And the solution in understanding this text properly is that when Psalm 2 in Hebrews 1 speaks of this day, it is not talking about the day in which He was begotten, but rather the day in which it was declared that He was begotten. And when was it declared that He was begotten? Hebrews is especially talking about Christ's exaltation, which began at His resurrection. When God raised Christ from the dead, at the resurrection, He declared, This is My begotten Son, eternally begotten and now raised with power. Romans 1 verse 4 is parallel to it. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And today I declare on this Resurrection Sunday as well this truth of who Jesus is. This is the day that God has made. And this day I declare Christ is that only begotten Son from all eternity. He's different from us. Begotten, not made. Natural Son. From all eternity. And third, to distinguish Him from us he is inherently worthy. We would say He is entitled to the name Son of God. The name that you and I have as children of God is undeserved. But He deserves that title. And the writer of Hebrews seeks to emphasize that, to exalt Christ, how deserving He is of the name Son of God because He is God. And in, to do so, Hebrews especially makes this point. You should have noticed it as we read, that Christ is so much better, so much greater than the angels because He is the eternal Son of God. And to which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art My Son, this day have I begotten Thee? To none is the implied answer. And more, verse 6, again, when He bringeth in the first begotten into the world, He said, let all the angels of God worship Him. When He brought in this eternally begotten one, Hebrew says, God told all the angels, go and worship Him. When that eternally begotten one was born of the womb of the virgin. This is what God said to the angels. He, the writer of Hebrews is saying, angels, go and bow before that babe. Go bow before that infant. Go sing glory to God in the highest. And those angels came. They sang and they bowed in worship of God the Son. And you, beloved, who are like myself, perhaps self-focused self-focused this morning, are asking, how does this apply to me? How does this mysterious, even difficult truth apply to me? And I say unto you, bow with the angels. We're thrilled to bow before the Lamb of God. Worship Him as you ought to, as He is described, as He is exalted above you. Isn't that what you came to church for this morning? It wasn't first about you, was it? It wasn't for you to get counseling, was it? First of all, to have your back scratched. 
What about me, you might ask? Well, we'll talk about you, but first, worship before this God, the only begotten Son, along with the angels. Exalt Him for who He is. So much greater than the angels. Very God, eternal, natural Son. He is worthy of this name. He is worthy of all praise. See, beloved, even if we were to fill up this entire worship service, this entire sermon, only talking about the great identity of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, it still wouldn't be enough. Praise and honor that He deserves. Worship Him for the express image of His person, as Hebrews put it. Worship Him, the glorious, eternal Son. And then ask, what about you? Who am I? What about me? Well, you're called sons and daughters in Christ. But unlike this natural son, you are begotten of earthly parents, as we said, He is a divine being, begotten of Father. We are, we are human beings. He is so much better than the angels, and we are so much lower. He is the eternal Son of God, and we, we only came to being in time. And after the fall, we don't begin as sons and daughters, do we? After the fall, we, we begin. We were conceived and born in sin as, as children of the devil, as enemies of the Most High God. He's eternal. We're in time. He's entitled. We are unworthy. Unworthy to be called sons and daughters. And you need to know that before we move on. It's humbling. It's offensive. But hearing how Christ is exalted, we need to hear how we are far lower. The complaining scum of this earth will always feel according to our sinful nature, somehow entitled to something, including this name, son or daughter, when we really deserve eternal destruction and death with Satan, our spiritual father. Don't minimize that. Don't minimize the utter impossibility of you and me to be called the sons of God. It is impossible. Except God does that impossible. Except God the Son Himself does that which it takes to make us the sons and daughters of God. And with astounding love He did, He claims you as such, His children. Here is our identity in Christ. The Catechism explains we are children adopted of God by grace for His sake. The key word adopted of God. Why? Only of grace. By grace. For Jesus' sake. The Son's sake. He is natural Son and we are adopted. And there are, I review with you what you know for the glory of what the Son has done. Four steps in adoption. And the first step of adoption is election. Election. Glorious election. The unconditional choosing of us to be made His sons and daughters. In the earthly process of adoption, when earthly parents begin the adoption process, they also go and they choose a son or a daughter to make their own. 
But God from eternity has chosen. Ephesians 1.5 Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Adoption is not finished in eternity. It's not completed in eternity, but it does, it has begun with that first step in that process of adoption. Election. In God's mind, and among the three persons of the Trinity, He chose. He didn't choose a mass of people merely, but He chose particular persons by name, merely of grace. And Hebrews 2 verse 13 helps us view this election in a, in a different light, though consistent with all the other passages in Scripture about election. Notice Hebrews 2 verse 13. Hebrews is quoting here the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 8 verse 18. And he gives us God the Son's words from eternity. Behold, he says, I and the children which God hath given me. Look! I am the children that God hath given me. Amazing. Think, think of it this way, beloved. This was part of the conversation from all eternity between God the Father and God the Son, so that from eternity within the Godhead, not only quietly in His mind, but from eternity within the Godhead, God the Father said something like this to His Son. Breathe this out to His Son by His Spirit. I give you, My Son, My eternally begotten Son, I give to you these specific persons by name, written in My book of life. Receive them, My Son. They are weak, they're specks, they're dirty rebels who feel entitled to the name, but don't deserve it at all. They're enemies of me, of themselves, but I love them. I give them to you. You love them too. And do what it takes that you might make them my children. And the eternally begotten Son we read here, says, Behold, I am the children which God the Father hath given me. I am not ashamed to call them my brethren. I will be their elder brother. I will go and represent them. I will do what it takes to make them in my image sons and daughters of the Most High. You see, the, the doctrine of election is not some cold intellectual truth it is a loving, gracious thought, Father expressed to the Son, and vice versa, breathed out by His Spirit from all eternity. The second step of adoption is that which takes place in time. It's the legal work or the payment of, of adoption. There's election, and then there's the payment of adoption. When we look at it from an earthly perspective, earthly parents... And adopting a child does do a lot of legal work and they pay an exorbitant amount of money to make that child rightfully theirs. To belong rightfully to them. And this is what God has done, not from eternity, though He has planned it from eternity, but in time, He's done the legal work, the payment. Galatians 4.4 When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem or to pay for them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. His legal work took place 2,000 years ago for all those and only those whom God had chosen and given to the Son. God the Son came in our flesh and blood. He who is so much better than the angels, Lowered Himself to be made under the angels. 
remain like us, flesh and blood. In all things, verse 17 of chapter 2, it behooved Him to be made like unto us His brethren. He became a man, very man, somehow also maintaining His Godhead. And the work of adoption to pay legally for our adoption involves obeying. Obeying every single one of God's commandments perfectly. And it involves suffering. Think about that, beloved. Suffering as though He Himself was the very enemy of God and the child of Satan. Though He wasn't. The only begotten of God. Eternally begotten. Lowered Himself to this level that He might suffer the rejection of men. To be murdered. To feel hell on this earth. That we deserve to suffer it all the way until there was no more hell for us to suffer. It became sin for us. We knew no sin. That was the legal work. The payment for our adoption. That's why the catechism says, for His sake alone. Because of His payment. And third, in this work of adopting, God realized that adoption Earthly parents, having done the legal work and payment, don't leave the son, leave the daughter in the orphanage or on their own. They take a hold of that child and they embrace that child with their own. They call that child son or daughter. They say to that child, I love you. And so also after God had finished that legal work, He didn't leave us in bondage to Satan. He didn't leave us alone thinking we're still His enemies. But He comes to us to give us the Spirit of His Son. He sends forth the Spirit of His Son, Galatians 4, verse 6, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the Spirit's embrace is so powerful that we become the sons and daughters of God. We're actually regenerated, given a new heart to be sons and daughters of God. And we hear, we hear God. We hear God in His Word. We hear God today in His Word as He speaks to us. You are mine, adopted as my son, as my daughter. Yes, you have failed again. You often fail, but you're still mine. You might say even, as that prodigal son said to the father, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy servants. And father still says, you're still mine. Not just a servant. But first of all, you're, you're my son. You're my daughter. And He causes us to experience it. He doesn't, wait, he doesn't wait for us to do good works before He tells us. But He testifies to us by His Spirit when He turns us in repentance and faith. You are my son. And one day I take you home. That's the last step of adoption. Soul and body to glory. We ourselves groan, Romans 8.24, within ourselves waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. And it is certain He will take us there. What an identity you have. As a child, as a daughter, most high God, for Jesus' sake and by grace alone. The calling, first of all, is that you believe. Repent and believe. Because repentance will come with your believing. 
The call to repent and believe and turn to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. Those who refuse to repent and believe are doomed forever. Those who refuse to repent and believe who continue willfully, impenitently in sin, who have no desire in their hearts to turn from their pornography, to turn from their drunkenness, selfishness, the pursuit of the, do- the dollar in this world, and who act like they are not sinful, clinging to your external works to cover for your sins that you intend to go back to willfully tomorrow, then this Son, the only begotten of the Father, is the destroyer. And He will destroy those who do not repent and believe. Psalm 2 verse 9, which speaks of this only begotten One. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. His wrath is kindled against all those who do not turn to Him. And He works with a call to turn, to repent, and believe. So that you do, you must. And to all those who do turn in this morning, throwing themselves at His feet, Hear Him then also by faith tell you, though you deserve to perish in hell underneath the destroyer, you belong. I am your older brother. And you are the son and daughter of God. Not because you repented. Not because you believed. Not because you improved. Though you will by my power. But only for my sake. Jesus says, don't go back wallowing in that sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Worship. Pray. That's the calling. Pray. Don't underestimate that calling. The text, the text that speaks of the Spirit working in us so that we know that we are sons and daughters of God is about prayer. The Spirit testifies to our spirit, Romans 8, that we are the sons of God so that we cry, Abba, Father, you pray. As sons and daughters of God, you will pray. You must pray. And thanksgiving for what He has done. Leaning on God, your Father, for all things. And then you will live too by His power as His sons and daughters. Don't leave here saying you are sons and daughters and acting like children of the devil. It only brings blasphemy against the name of the Son of God. You were sometimes darkness, Ephesians 5 verse 8, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You've been made children. Don't try to become children. You are children. Now behave as such. That's the calling of God's Word. And then finally, remember you're not the only son and daughter of God. There's one who is far greater than you, Jesus. Then as you look at one another, husbands, when you look at your wife, she's not just your wife with whom you can do whatever you want. She's the daughter of the Most High God. And your husband is the son of the Most High God. And your children, parents, don't you touch them as though they are your slaves to whip. And that is a son and daughter of God. 
near to him in his heart, beloved. When you interact with members of the church, that you don't like or prefer, perhaps, you've had some controversy with in the past, don't you forget, that is the son, that is the daughter of the Almighty God. Love your brother. Grow in love. Forgive. Put away your grudges. For the Son of God has come. And He is bringing, not just you alone, He's bringing many sons and daughters unto glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Jesus has taught us to pray that which we are not worthy to pray. Our Father, we do so with boldness. Our Father, we do so with excitement and joy. Our Father, because Jesus Christ has made known unto us on this day too, that though He is different, distinct from us as the Son of God, by His work, Thou has made us members of Thy family, adopting us in time. Give unto us, O God, a love. Knowing Thy love, help us to love Thee in return, and also to love one another, behaving as Thy sons and daughters. Increase within us then a thanks that we do not take this gospel for granted. And may all glory, honor, power, blessing be unto Thee and to Thy Son, who is so much greater than the angels, has lowered himself to be made less under the angels, that he might raise us with him unto the heights of glory and to thy family. Praise be unto thee, to thy Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.